A lot's changed over the last couple of years, hasn't it? I mean, man, think about everything that's changed. The way people work has changed. So many people are working from home, which has made it easier for those uh, of us who still go to the office because, man, the roads are uh, a little less congested because so many people's working at home. I know it's made it easier for everybody, but, uh, you know, the, everything's changed. The way people work today has changed. Our stress levels have definitely changed. Uh, I know that my waistline has definitely changed. I know the numbers of hair on my head has definitely changed. I know that when I go pump gas in my truck, uh, the amount I pay has definitely changed. The price of a, a tank of gas or a gallon of milk, everything is changing. And here's what we know. A little change brings a little stress. A lot of change brings a lot of stress. And we've had a lot of change. Everything's changing, and that brings a lot of stress and a lot of questions. You know, what will the future hold? These are questions that you, you're asking right now. Everyone I know are asking these questions, including me. What does the future literally hold? We don't, we don't have a clue, right? I, I, I mean, will Social Security still be there? If you're, you know, uh, 40 and older or, or, you know, getting there, you're going, will Social Security be there? Uh, you're, you're thinking, uh, you know, does the healthcare cost have a ceiling? Does the healthcare industry have a heart? right? I mean, these are questions. You're you're thinking, well, my kids, here's a real question for everyone. If you've got children who do not yet own a house, you've got children at home. uh, Will my kids ever be able to buy a house in this market? That's a legit question for me. And I know for you, so many questions. You know what? There's so many questions for the church as well. The church world is no different. You know, a lot of people today uh, feel like the church is like a black rhino. You know, the black rhinos are on the critically endangered species list. A lot of people feel that way about the church. They're thinking, man, is the church ever uh, going to fully recover? Are people gonna fully return from COVID? Is the church going to be like the church in Europe, a shadow of what it was just 100 years ago? Will the government own the church? These are legit questions that people are, are throwing around today uh, about the church, and that brings a lot of stress. You know, here's, here's what uh, uh, I've heard about change. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said that if you are inclined to let change bring concern to your heart, then turn your heart to an unchanging God. That's really what we're doing in a series called Reset. We're trying to help you to understand lots of things have changed, and you know what? Everything is gonna continue to change. Nothing is going to stay the same. Everything's gonna continue to change. But if you follow Jesus, rather than be stressed, you can be blessed, okay? You can be blessed. And and that's what we're talking about in this series called Reset. You know, uh, the church is being attacked from so many different angles. You know that, and I know that. It's being attacked from so many different angles. But folks, although we're being attacked, this is not the church's uh, time to retreat. There's never a time for the church to retreat. This is a time for us to reset. The world is getting darker and darker and darker. And it's time for the church to shine brighter and brighter and brighter because we are the light of the world. You know, businesses and corporations now are spending major bucks breaking the bank to try to figure out strategies and models of how to live in this new world. And that's very smart because we don't live in the same world we lived in two years ago. And every business better decide and try to strategize about how to live in this new world or they'll be left behind. That's smart. But the church is different. Okay, the church is different. Anybody can own a business. You could go uh, buy a business or you could go start a business tomorrow. Anybody can own a business, right? But Jesus owns the church. No one else can own the church. He owns it. He bought it. He paid for it. And only he decides 
how it's ran. Only he decides the proper models and methods. And so what we're doing in this series is, is resetting. And I think the way forward for the church is not some new model. I, don't, I think the way to thrive in this new world is not some new model. I think it is a very old model. I think the way forward is to back. I think if we wanna thrive in a hostile world that we are in right now, if we wanna thrive in a crazy world that we live in right now, then we've gotta go back to the first century church because they lived in a world that's crazier and more hostile than the one we live in now. It was much crazier, the Roman Empire. The, the, the world that the church was born in was very hostile, very crazy, very antagonistic against the church, threatening the church, killing Christians. And so they didn't just survive, they thrived. They didn't flounder, they flourished. And how do they do it? Well, that's what we're doing. We're, we're going back and we're looking at some marks of that church because those marks need to be in our DNA today. And last week we looked at the first mark that I think is going to be in, in, embedded in the DNA of every church that thrives in today's world. And that very first mark is that they will depend upon the Holy Spirit. Not pragmatism, not our thoughts on how we should do things, not seeker-driven, uh, not uh, you know, uh, attractional. It's got to be driven by the Holy Spirit, dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. Today, we're gonna look at the second mark. And that second mark is what we see very clearly in the early church, is that that early church, that very first century church, they thrived in a crazy world because they were committed to the Bible. They were committed to the Bible. Think about this. Let me, let me give you some examples that we see of their commitment to the Bible in simply the book of Acts, right? Last week, we looked at how in Acts 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit descended, and bam, I mean, man, uh, it, the Holy Spirit power did miraculous things, unexplainable things. That's what we pray for at Life Point. We pray for things that are unexplainable. We pray for things that are miraculous. We pray for things that we could never even dream or imagine. We pray for things that somebody could not say, oh, look at what uh, that pastor did. Look at what that church did, but look at what God did. We can't explain what's going on. That's what we want. But here's what we also see in Acts 1 and 2 and, and all through the book of Acts and through the movement of the early church through the New Testament. We see that that early church absolutely was committed to the Bible. Let me give you some examples. Uh, immediately after the Holy Spirit descended and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we spoke about that last week, immediately P Peter, uh, you know, he was the leader, right? He called a huddle, huddle up team. He called a huddle and he called the very first play. And what was the first play? Well, the first play was we gotta replace Judas, now, when they replaced Judas, uh, he didn't say, we need to replace Judas like, you know, Mike Vrabel said, we got to replace Derrick Henry. I mean, we got to run him back down. We can't go into this game without a running back. It wasn't like that Peter said, we can't go into this and play this game without a disciple. I mean, man, we got an apostle. We, we got to replace. That wasn't the deal. Why did he replace him? Because it was good strategy. No, he replaced him because it's what the Bible said to do. He quoted Psalm 109 when he said, his, his camp will be desolate. No one will dwell there and someone must take his place. Peter said, the Bible tells us what to do. We're going to do what the Bible says. It tells us to replace Judas. They replaced him with a guy named Matthias. You remember that. Uh, then as soon as uh, Peter did that, Peter, what happened was, remember when the Holy Spirit descended, what did they do? We talked about last week. They were filled with the Spirit. They began speaking in tongues and everyone understood in their own language. Well, man, people came running in and they thought, these people are great. What is going on? And people began to mock them, right? I mean, we know people got saved, but we, other people began to mock them, just like today. 
People began to mock them and said, oh, they're drunk. And Peter said, drunk? He said, we don't have beer goggles on. I mean, listen, folks, it's nine in the morning. Come on. And then what did he, he explained it how? He didn't explain it in human logic and thinking and, and human speculation about what's going on. He said, here's what the prophet Joel said. The prophet Joel said, in the, the last days, uh, I will put my spirit within you and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will, 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 will see visions and your, or, or dream dreams, and your old men will see visions. And he explained what was going on. How? By the Bible. He didn't explain. Let me tell you, I figured out was this is, the, he was committed to the Bible. Remember, he preached immediately. 3,000 people got saved. What was his sermon? Oh, let me come up with a, this most creative way I can tell you about Jesus. Let me come up with some cool illustrations. He quoted scripture. 3,000 people got saved. We see in Acts 2, 42, uh, 43, around in there, we see that it says that what was the early church devoted to? Well, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? Well, the apostles' teaching included two things, the Old Testament and the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. That's what the apostles taught. So in other words, they were devoted to what? The Bible. They loved the Bible and they lived the Bible. That's how they survived. That's how they didn't just survive, but thrived in a hostile, chaotic world. They loved the word, they lived the word. They loved the word, they lived the word. That's what I wanna challenge you to do today. I wanna challenge you to love the word. Love the word. And that's what we, we see is love the word. Love the word. Now, listen, folks, the world doesn't love the word. You know that as well as I do. The world does not love the word. The world actually hates the word because the word disagrees with the world, right? Uh, and, and the word, if the word's true, then that means I've got to change. The world hates the word. They malign the word. Did you know actually that, that most college professors in secular universities, their, one of their number one objectives is to get your kids and my kids to disbelieve the word of God, the Bible. That's their number one objective. The world hates the word. Here's what I know. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no true believer would say they hate the word. As a matter of fact, every true believer that I know would say, I love the word. I believe you love the word if you're a believer, but here's the sad reality. The sad reality is most Christians love the word, but most Christians or many, many Christians ignore the word. That's a sad reality. We, we love the word, but we ignore the word. You know, I mean, the Bible has the distinction of being the, the, the best-selling book of all time, but I also believe probably the most ignored book of all time. It's sort of like that Peloton, right? Many of you got a Peloton for Christmas or something, and man, you got it. You were so excited about getting that Peloton, and man, you used it for a couple of days, and now it's sitting there collecting dust. It's sort of like what we do with our Bibles, man. We get these Bibles and we use them for a couple of days. And man, we might pull one out every now and then, but most of the time it sits there and collects dust. And, and that is a, a sad reality. Here, here, let me give you some stats. 40% of church attenders read the Bible regularly. 40% of church attenders. That, 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 is, that should be like 100%, okay, to be quite honest. Not 99 but 40% of church attenders read the Bible uh, uh, occasionally. 20% never read the Bible, 20%. Uh, 50% of American adults cannot name the four gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 50% of American adults cannot name the four gospels. Get this, 50% of graduating high school seniors think Sodom and Gomorrah are husband and wife. 50% of high school seniors, right? 60% of adults can't name 
half of the Ten Commandments. 50, 50% cannot name half of the Ten Commandments. We're suffering from biblical illiteracy. We're suffering from, we love the Bible, but we ignore the Bible, and that's not what, what we need to do. And so today, I want to challenge you, church. Listen to me. I want to challenge you to love the church like peanut butter loves jelly. I want to challenge you to love the church like Joan Jett, my generation, loves rock and roll. I want to challenge you to love the church, to crave the, I'm sorry, to crave the word, the word. I want to challenge you to love the word, to crave the word so much that you can't put it down, so much that you can't stop talking about it because you talk about the things you love. Love. The things you love, you make sacrifices for. The things you love change how you think and change what you talk about. They change where you go. They change everything. Today, I want to challenge you to love the word, church. If we want to survive, if your family wants to survive in this wicked, hostile world, I want to challenge you to love the word of God. Why should you love it? Well, here's what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is gonna be our supplement, our, 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 I'm sorry, our base passage today, then we'll come back. So all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, the word scripture is the word, uh, basically means sacred writings. When Timothy, uh, you know, when, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, what he's talking about is the sacred writings were the Old Testament they were in writing, and the sayings of Jesus were, were being written. So the Old Testament, these were the, 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 the sacred writings, the, 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 the scriptures. Why were they sacred? Because they're breathed out by God. In other words, it's God's words. The Bible is the word of God, what we call, but it also contains the words of God. So when you read the Bible, you're not reading the thoughts of man. As a matter of fact, here's how uh, Peter says it in 2 Peter 1.21. Uh, 2 Peter 1.21 says, for no prophecy, and when he's talking about that, you can, any word in the Bible, okay? Old Testament. Uh, uh, remember, he's talking primarily Old Testament. No prophecy, none of the Old Testament. And today, we would include New Testament in this, right? None of the Bible, but for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Now, let me tell you what Peter said here. Peter said, you should love the Bible because uh, Paul said it's breathed out by God. And Peter said, uh, it wasn't, uh, the, the men wasn't the author, right? Now, Moses, for instance, penned the first five books of the Bible. He penned Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He penned the first five. He, he, he was the one who wrote those. Paul penned the book of Romans, to the church at Rome. Uh, he, he penned uh, the letter to the Corinthians, a couple of them actually. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, he penned the letters to Timothy. John uh, penned his gospel. John penned the book of Revelation. I could go on and on, but for time's sake, even though they penned them, they weren't the author. They were inspired by God, as Peter says, in such a way that the words they wrote down were not their words, but the words of God. They used their personality, you begin to see Paul's personality come through, which is different than Moses' personality or John's personality or Mark's personality. You begin to see their personality, but what they wrote was not their words. 
It was God's words. So the Bible, we should love the Bible because the Bible was not written by the, 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 you know, the latest spiritual guru with the secret to success out there. It wasn't written by you know, the latest, uh, most popular TV psychologist that just got a TV show. It wasn't written by some sociologist that has all the answers with these critical theories that will solve the world's problems. Uh, it wasn't written by a flawed man. Or You'll hear that. That's what... You know, your your professors in your secular universities will tell your kids, wrong. It was not written by a man. It was written over the period of 1,500 years, over three continents, uh, uh, you know, uh, all these different authors, different walks of life. Uh, right, it was written, yes, it was written by, 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 by people who were kings and people who were pet. It was written by all these things, but it was the word of God inspired It was the inspired word of God. So this book is trustworthy, right? Because it's the word of God. That's why you should love it. So many people struggle with life today. So many people will struggle with life. And and, and here is the, the, the reality. People struggle with life because they try to live by speculation rather than revelation. You know what speculation is? Speculation is our attempt to try to understand or define or describe the world. That's what speculation is. It's any human attempt. And we, 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 just, we try to describe the world. We, we have a human attempt at sexuality, right? And so today, man, you can be whatever you wanna be. I mean, that's the way, I mean, that's the human attempt to describe uh, sexuality. Uh, you can marry whomever you wanna marry. We have an attempt to define marriage and, uh, through speculation. And many people's like marriage is archaic speculation. Many people's like marriage can be between, uh, uh, you know, polyamorous. Many people, marriage can be between men and men and women and women. That's speculation. Speculation is that a baby is not a baby. It's not a, it's not a life until after it's born. You even have some wicked uh, people who think that you, a mother should even decide after the baby's born, you know, or that if a baby has, has you know, uh, some uh, uh, mental handicap within the womb, then, man, you can make it. That's, that's speculation. That's speculation. Many people say, man, you shouldn't forgive them. Why would you forgive this person? Look at what they, speculation. And so many people are struggling with life because they live their life by speculation. But God's revelation, God is, the Bible is the revelation of God. He revealed himself, his will, his way. He revealed it all. And he is the maker of life. And that's why we should love it. Because when I read the word, I'm just gonna be honest with you folks. I'm like you, sometimes I do not like the Bible and what it says because it disagrees with me, okay? That's why I don't. I mean, I, I mean, I, sometimes it's like, I don't wanna do that. I don't want to always do it, but here's what I know. Every time, 100% of my life, when I didn't do it, it caused pain, it caused struggle, it caused stress, it caused chaos. 100% of the time, when I did do it, sometimes it caused a lot of stress because when I did do it, it means I stand up for something that other people are going against the stream. I'm like a, a, a you know, a, I mean, I'm going against the stream. That's hard. I'm not gonna say it doesn't cause stress, but it, it causes me to be blessed, right? 100% of the time, are you living by speculation or revelation? This book was written by God himself. So it's not like boy bands. It's not going out of style. This one this week and that one the next week. I mean, this book is good for all people in all places and all times. It has no error. It, it, it is inerrant. Uh, it, it is infallible. 
and, and it will never go out of style. That's the word of the living God. That's why you should love it. I should love it and I wanna eat it because it's God's word. So many people says, I, I wanna hear from God, then read his word. So many people says, I, I don't, how do you discern God's will? Read his word, right? I mean, so many people says, man, I don't know what to do. Read his word, right? I mean, read his word. And so, you know, uh, we should love it because it's the word of God. Now, here's the second thing. We should live God's word. We should live God's word. We should love it and we should live it. Look at 2 Timothy, go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, all the sacred writings is breathed out by God. It's all God's word from Genesis to Revelation and there was a canon process of canonization and man, that's a whole other uh, sermon but it's a process of canonization about how the Bible, the books of the Bible got into the Bible and, and it went through a huge strenuous process so that we know it's all God's, so it's all scripture is breathed out by God and look here, look at what Paul told Timothy, profitable, profitable. That word profitable means gain. Man, you want your, your, your retirement right now, your investments to be profitable. When you sell something, you want it to be profitable. You wanna make a gain. You don't wanna have a loss, right? So the Bible is profitable. It brings gain to your life. It brings gain and help you to have a happy life, right? It's profitable. What's it profitable for? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He said it's profitable for teaching. It brings gain in your life, teaching. Now, teaching means doctrine. This word teaching means doctrine. And doctrine is basically the things that we believe. It shapes, for instance, the doctrine of God, right? The doctrine of Christ is called Christology. The doctrine of salvation, it's soteriology, right? I mean, you got the doctrine of end times. We talked about in Revelation, eschatology, the study of, right? Ology is the study of, and so you got all these doctrines. And so when I'm studying the doctrine, here's what I'm saying. The Bible's profitable, a great, great, great gain in my life because it teaches me who God is. It teaches me who man is. It teaches me how I'm separated from God. Why? It teaches me how to be reconnected with God, right? It's profitable because it teaches me uh, uh, the doctrine. It teaches me doctrines about marriage and what marriage is and about what sex is and about, I mean, uh, economy. And it teaches all these things, all these doctrines that then causes me what to believe which is important because what you then believe determines how you behave. So it's profitable because it teaches you and when, it, when you believe something, you begin to behave differently. It's profitable for, for teaching. It, then it said it's profitable for reproof. Now reproof just basically means conviction. So in other words, you read the Bible and it tells you who God is, it tells you who you are and you're like, oh, I'm convicted. There's no way I can work for salvation. Salvation is not works, but salvation is faith and trust in Jesus. So you're convicted. It teaches you about sin. And all of a sudden you read and you're, you, you begin to believe that what sin is, and then you're convicted, right? It's a conviction. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Now, you know what? I mean, I have this love-hate relationship with Google Maps or Maps or Waze, whatever you use. I mean, I love them, the love-hate. I love them because, man, they keep me on direction, right? I'm going somewhere. I remember, and I, there's no teenager that remembers this. Uh, most people in their 20s don't remember this. I remember when you used to have to get directions and write them down, and you go down the road, and you're looking at directions, or you're actually looking at a map, right? I remember that. Well, uh, nobody remembers that today that are, that's younger because what we do, we put it in our GPS. We put it in our map. I love it, right? Right? 
Here's what I hate about it. I love it when I'm going down the road and I make a wrong turn. It tells me, man, you're going the wrong way, so I don't go miles down the wrong way. Here's what I hate about it. I hate it when somebody tells me I'm wrong, <laughs> to be honest. I don't need somebody else telling me I'm wrong. I got enough people telling me I'm wrong, right? And so it's this love-hate relationship. But guess what? That's the Bible. The Bible says, hey, you're wrong here, Pat. The way you treated Amy, that, the way you yelled at Amy, the way you, you know, got upset with your kids, the way you're not forgiving that person, uh, the way you thought about this, that was selfish, uh, you're wrong. And you know, immediately, what do you, what do you feel immediately when someone tells you you're wrong? You wanna defend yourself. But then the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week begins to bring this conviction and then it's correction which leads to getting where God wants you to go, where you really want to go. That's what the Bible is. It brings great gain to your life when you live it. And you can't live it if you don't know it, right? Now, the Bible doesn't mention, it says it's good for training in righteousness, but now the Bible, it doesn't mention every detail of every circumstance and every situation, I mean, for instance, you know, it doesn't specifically talk about genetic engineering or cloning or bombs and, you know, bullets. It doesn't talk about TVs and computers and iPads and iPhones. It doesn't talk about all those things in the Bible, but it has principles for every one of those things in the Bible. It does address those things principally, maybe not specifically, but principally. And those are the things that, that begin to uh, confuse our minds. And in the last two years, we've had a lot of confusion because a lot of people who know absolutely zero about much of anything are telling us what we should think about everything, to be quite honest. I mean, we got people that are pure 100% speculation is what they're leaning on. No revelation that are telling us what we should believe about everything. How, you know, uh, the answers to the, 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 the life's most pressing problems. You know, I talked about Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is in, I, he's one of my heroes. I, I love what he stood for. He would roll over in his grave today if he, if he, if he could hear and knew the answers that are being uh, proposed for racism. They're 100% against what he stood for. He stood for unity and they're about division. It's speculation and it's cloaked in a way that you can't understand it or you can't see it. We can't see it. And so that's just one example. So what do I do? Do I lean on speculation? Or if my head is filled with the Bible, then I can go, hold on a minute. Ho, 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 there's something wrong with this because I've been trained in doctrine in the Bible as I've read the Bible and, and, I, and I, I've, I'm being corrected. I'm reading, I'm like, there's something wrong with this. This is not God's will that we live like this. This is not God's will that we divide. This is not God's will that we do any of this. That's just one example. That's one example. You know, I, I mean, uh, when I live it and, I forgive because the world's telling me don't forgive anyone, make everybody pay for everything, right? If you did something to me, uh, you know, 40 years ago, or if you did something to my mama, you should pay. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the Bible, that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches truth. The scripture teaches responsibility, okay? The scripture teaches grace. You did something to me, I should forgive. That's the heart of God. I should forgive. That's the gospel of God. You see, there, there's a lot of justice in some of the things that are being, there's not a lot of grace. And so when I read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I begin to live differently. I live the Bible. I'm going to forgive the brother who offends me. I'm not going to, 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 to hold uh, bitterness. I'm going to forgive. You say, well, Pat, they, they, might, they didn't ask for your forgiveness. I don't care if they ask for my forgiveness or not. My forgiveness is not for them. 
<laughs> I don't, they're feeling better. It's not my objective. It's me doing what God called me to do. That's my objective. I'm not gonna hang out with them maybe, okay? That doesn't mean you go hang out with someone. Doesn't even mean you be their best buddy. It means I'm releasing you. See, speculation says, don't forgive them. Look at what they did. They don't deserve your forgiveness. That leads to bitterness. Revelation says, forgive. It's not for them, it's for you. That leads to godliness. That leads to contentment, right? Think about money. We go into money, and what does, what does our world say? Get all you can get, and what you can get, man, I mean, you spend it on, 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 on everything for you. What does God say? God says, no, give me the first 10%. Why? Because God needs it. No, he can take all you got if he wants it. That's, uh, he's a little bit bigger than you. <laughs> uh, he can take everything you got. It's not because he needs it. It's because he wants your heart, not your money. He wants you to depend upon him. He wants you to trust him. And he knows when you do that, then you're setting the pace of saying, I'm not gonna let money drive me and control me. I'm not gonna get into debt. And you see, here, here's what, 100% of the time, listen, I, I can bring Nathaniel Hale. He's our financial administrator. He's a financial counselor. If you need any kind of financial counseling, when people come in that's over their head, he can trace it back and he doesn't have to get five minutes into the conversation where Okay, there's a veer away from revelation and there's a living into speculation. I'm not, uh, they didn't live in revelation and we lived in speculation and we got so far over our head. Or sometimes family members are putting that because their dad or their husband or someone went to speculation instead of revelation. It's always because someone didn't live the word of God. The, not living the word of God, that brings 99.9, if not 100% of every stress in our life, either because we didn't live the word of God or because someone in our family or close to us did not live the word of God. Folks, we need to love the word and we need to live the word because it is God's word. It's the words of God. It's absolute truth without any error. It's never wrong. It means I can trust the word of God. You cannot, get this folks, you cannot trust your own heart and your own emotions. The heart is wicked above all things, the Bible says. You can't trust your own heart. You can't trust your own emotions. I hear people say, follow your heart. No, don't ever lead your heart, okay? You don't follow your emotions. You follow your emotions and you're going off a cliff, folks, most of the time when you can't trust your emotions because your emotions will say, hey, I wanna date this guy and I really like him. He's not a Christian, but I'm gonna follow my heart. Follow God's word. That's what you need to do because that will keep you out of the ditch and over and from going over the cliff. You see, you don't follow your heart. I'm gonna follow my heart. Every time I hear somebody say that, I'm like, Ugh, man, that, you better. Listen, when you can't trust your heart, when you can't trust your emotions, you can trust God's word. You, when you can't trust what culture tells you, you can trust God's word. When you can't trust your friends, you can trust God's word. When you're confused by your friends, trust God's word. It's no mixture of error. It's truth. It's infallible. Love the word. Live the word. When it says do it, we do it. Right? When it says do it, we do it. And that's hard. That's why, folks, here, here's what I want you to know about LifePoint. We're always going to challenge you up. Right? Right? We're always gonna challenge you up. I'm never gonna challenge you. I'm never just gonna water it down. We're gonna challenge you up because we want you to live in God's will, God's way, and that's the word. We wanna thrive as a church in this world and we want your family to thrive. And if you're, if you're not committed to the word, your family's gonna fall by every wind of doctrine that comes down the pike. Your kids are not gonna know how to respond and react because all their friends believe a certain thing about a certain thing, and then the, but it's against God, but because their friends, they're gonna be confused. We need to be training our kids that it doesn't matter if all of your friends believe this. If the Bible says this, you go with the Bible 100% of the time. And they're not gonna do that if they don't see you do that. 
They're not gonna do that if you don't sit down and, 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 and teach that to your kids. We gotta love the word. We gotta live the word. We gotta teach the word. We gotta literally obey the word, right? We have to love the word and live the word if we wanna thrive. As a church, we're committed to the word of God. We're never gonna stand on anything but the word of God. And we're not gonna stand on men's opinion. We're not gonna stand on a group's opinion. We're gonna be committed to the word of God. Let me, let me close with this. Just I love this, this uh, time of history. And I wanna close with this because it greatly illustrates what love for the word of God can do. By 500 AD, uh, just 500 years after Jesus was brutally murdered and crucified, the Bible had been translated into 500 languages. But by 600 AD, it was only legal in one language. You see, the Roman Catholic Church had become so corrupt and self-absorbed that they had made it illegal for anyone to, have a, to read a Bible in any language or to preach the Bible, I should say, in any language other than Latin. As a matter of fact, if someone had a Bible or, or, or someone preached the Bible in a language other than Latin, it was execution. Hard to believe, I know. That was the law. It was execution. Because you see, if it was reduced to one language, then the priests of the Roman Catholic Church could say, teach whatever they wanted and not teach whatever they wanted because they were the only ones educated in Latin. The common man did not know Latin. So the priest could say, this is what the Bible, and, and, the, and the common man had no other way to say, I don't know if that's what it says or not. I guess we have to go with him. Let me give you two examples. Indulgences and purgatory. Indulgences are just brought back, by the way, not too long ago. And here's what an indulgence was. An indulgence was, uh, it was, was what the Roman Catholics uh, used. When you sin, you could literally buy forgiveness. It worked like this. Uh, you commit a sin, and for four, pay, four easy payments of 99.99, the priest will absolve you, whatever it was. You could be absolved of your sin. Sin, pay a certain amount of money, that's an indulgence, okay? Uh, it, this is actually what started one of the great, great uh, uh, things that started the great Reformation, okay? Another issue was purgatory. The Roman Catholics believed that when you die, you go to a holding tank, right? You go to a holding tank until you have paid off uh, whatever sin that you had committed and, and it had been overcome and then you could go on to heaven. So uh, here was a great opportunity, right? So granddaddy dies and... We think Grant, we've been told uh, by people who speak Latin uh, and we can't speak Latin that granddaddy's in purgatory. But you can pay an indulgence. You can pay uh, enough money and if you pay enough money, then granddaddy will go straight from purgatory because you've paid it off. Granddaddy will go straight from purgatory on to heaven. Actually, there was a guy named John Tetzel and John Tetzel, uh, he was uh, just a nemesis, an enemy of Martin Luther and Tetzel uh, come up and phrased a, a jingle actually and it said, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Really catchy jingle all the way back in those days, right? And so, so uh, only one language and you begin to see why and the people were utterly confused and they were disoriented and life was just messed up. As a matter of fact, it lasted until about 1400 and that's what we call the period of history called the dark ages because the people lived without the light of the Bible. That's why it was called the dark ages. And then around late 1300s, uh, there arose a guy named John Wycliffe. 
John Wycliffe translated the Bible into the English language so that the common man could understand the Bible. And actually, the Pope hated John Wycliffe. He hated him so much, so he labeled him a heretic because he was a heretic because he translated the Bible into English from Latin. And he was labeled a heretic, and he hated, the Pope hated Wycliffe so much that that 40 years after he had died, the Pope dug up his bones, exhumed his bones, crushed them, and burned them 40 years after he was uh, after he died because he hated him and labeled him a heretic. But one of Wycliffe's students, one of, his, one, one of the guys that he had discipled and mentored was a guy by the name of John Huss. John Huss picked up the baton of Wycliffe and John Huss began uh, to uh, c- continue the work that Wycliffe began, and John Huss was also labeled a heretic, and he was executed. He was actually burned at the stake, and it said that they used the Bibles from Wycliffe that he had translated as kindling around the stake to set fire to the Bibles, to light the stake, to burn John Huss at the stake. But John Huss, with his last words as he's dying at the stake, as he's burning on the stake, he prophesied that within 100 years, God would raise up a man whose call for reform would not be uh, uh, ignored. God answered that, that prophecy by sending a man named Martin Luther. Martin Luther in 1517 was so fed up and it was mainly indulgences that got Martin Luther so fed up. Martin Luther uh, was, he was a priest, he was a monk and, and he even went to Rome, he went to Mecca and man, you know, he, 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 was, he, he would beat himself. He would do all these things because to, to, to purge the sin from him and he realized this is ridiculous, there's nothing here and, and, and God got a hold of his heart and he realized that it was uh, this corrupt deal and so he wrote, what we call the 95 theses. It was 95 uh, uh, criticisms of the heresy of the Roman Catholic's belief, and he nailed them to the church wall in October. He nailed them to the church wall in Wittenberg. It's called the knock heard round the world because it started the Reformation. And they say Wycliffe was the morning star of the Reformation because of his translation of the Bibles. Uh, In other words, the one who began, and then uh, Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the wall, uh, they say was the the knock heard round the world that began the Reformation. It began the Reformation, and, and then uh, uh, Martin Luther actually, he, 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 he translated the Bible into German uh, so that the common man uh, could, could, could understand it. He leveraged this new invention this brand new invention called the printing press. And they began to print these, these Bibles and get it into the hands of the masses. And uh, he was also obviously called a heretic for his actions. And then in about 1526, a man named William Tyndale, he befriended Luther and he and Luther became friends and he printed the very first Bible in English. And as a matter of fact, you might have a Bible today from Tyndale House Publishing. It's William Tyndale, and he printed the very first Bible in English, and obviously he was labeled a heretic, and he was on the run, and, and he began to get it in the hands of the masses, and people in England, they wanted the Bible. They, they longed for the Bible. They wanted the Bible so much that they would smuggle it in in bales of cotton and bags of flour. And William Tyndale was on the run, a fugitive of the law for 11 years because of smuggling Bibles was his crime. He smuggled by, and then finally they executed William Tyndall, and, and, and they executed him. And, and, and when they executed him, he was he was jailed uh, for uh, f- about five hundred days before they burned him at the stake. And you know where they burned him at the stake? 
just right, not, not too many miles from our Brussels campus there in Belgium. He was burned at the stake. If you ever go to our Brussels campus, you can go down and see where William Tyndall was burned at the stake. And, 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 and Tyndall, uh, with his final words, he prayed, oh Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And three years later in 1539, God opened the eyes of King Henry and King Henry allowed priests and he allowed the church, the Bible to be read in other languages and, and, and what a glorious day. Now, why did I tell you that story? Why did, I tell, why did I want to end with that story? Because I've, to, I've talked to you and challenged you to love the word and live the word. We've got more Bibles. Here we, we had people in the dark ages that were longing for a Bible. We had people crying for a Bible. They craved the Bible because they lived in a dark world without the Bible. We've got more Bibles at our disposal today. We, you probably have Bibles all over your house. If not, we will give you Bibles. You've got, you can download Bibles. I've got Bibles on my phone. We've got more access to the Bible in, in, in practically any language you can imagine. Yet church, it's ignored. It's ignored. These guys were burned at the stake. They lived in a world that was hostile to the church. They lived in a world that was antagonistic toward Christians. They lived in a world that was unstable and unsteady, and it was dark, much darker than the world we live in. But they didn't just survive, they thrived. And because they thrived, today we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because these men love the word and they live the word. And here's what I wanna know. Listen, how many people will be preaching the gospel 100 years from now, 500 years from now, if, God, if Jesus tarries, because you love the word and you live the word. These men were willing to die for the word. Are we willing to get up and read the word? Are we willing to study the word? Here's what studies show. Studies show that the number one, the number one issue in spiritual growth after studies of thousands of people, the number one thing that contributes to spiritual growth is, get this, studying the Bible. You want your kids to survive this world? Man, make sure they understand reading, writing, arithmetic, okay? I'm big on education. I've got a few degrees, right? I'm big on education. I'm big on educating my kids, but you want your kids to not just survive, but thrive in this world? Reading, writing, arithmetic might make them a buck, but let me tell you something. Here's what, you want them to thrive, you teach them the word of God. That's gonna make them a life right there. You teach them the word of God. You learn the word of God. Pour the word of God into your kids. Help your kids understand the word of God. If you wanna thrive, understand, read, read the word, teach the word, pray the word, obey the word. Love the word, live the word. Love the word, live the word. We've got a Bible reading plan. That's why we're challenging you to read the Bible all the way through. As a matter of fact, I, I was just thinking last night, and I thought, man, I want you to read one chapter for one day, for one year, and just see what happens. But we've got, a, we've got a Bible reading plan. It's called F260. You can go on our website and click it, and all the info is out there. Man, you can print off, we'll give you a thing. It's reading one chapter a day. We actually have given you five days a week, which is two days grace, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't care if, don't use that grace. Read it all. Read, you, you gotta get in the habit of reading every day. I'm not gonna take a day a break from reading the Bible just because oh, I got two days off. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. One chapter, one day for one year and see what happens in your life. Read the Bible. Love the word. Live the word. See what it does in your family. See what it does in this church family. This church, listen, your family, lots have changed over the last year, two years, 
everything really has changed. Everything's changed. Lots of stress, lots of questions. What's gonna happen to my kids? What's gonna happen to my family as a church? What's gonna happen to the church? Here's, here's what I know. If we want to thrive, we don't have to survive, church. We can thrive. Your family can thrive if you depend upon the Holy Spirit. If you say, Holy Spirit, move in our lives, be manifest in our lives, lead us, do things in our family, do things in our church that's miraculous, that we can't explain. Depend on the Holy Spirit, be committed to the word, love the word and lift the word. You do those marks. We see that in early church and they thrive. This church can thrive. You will thrive if you do these things. Will you do it, church? Get a vision for your future family. What do you want them to do? What do you want them to be? How do you want them to live? Don't let them live according to speculation. Teach them God's revelation. Love the word, live the word. Read the Bible with us. Get involved in our Bible reading plan. Study the Bible with us. Get involved in church, worship, gather together with God's people so that you can process the word in small group. Study the word. Let nothing, nothing, nothing be more important to you than your word. I promise you, if you love the Bible, if you love God and his word more than you love your wife, you will love your wife or your husband like you've never loved anybody before. I promise you, if you love God more than you love your job, your job will love you and you will love it more than you've ever loved it before. If you love God and his word more than anything else, you'll begin to see all of life will take on significance like it never has before. Love the word, church. Live the word. Maybe you're not a believer and you're like, I've I, I, I really never read the Bible. Would you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you cannot work your way to heaven. The Bible says there's a real place called hell and a real place called heaven, so I believe it because it's the word of God without any mixture of error. The Bible says you cannot Close the gap between you and God with your good works by going to church or by anything, only by Jesus Christ. You're a sinner. Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross. That's what the Bible says. God is perfect and I am sinful. I was sinful at birth. That's what the Bible says and so I believe it. And so the, the, I couldn't pay for my sin, Jesus did on the cross. That's what the Bible said. I believe it. If you believe that, would you text the word Jesus to, five, uh, to area code 615-551-9800? Would you text the word Jesus and today someone will contact you to help you know how you can give your life to Jesus Christ. You wanna be a part of a church? Let me tell you what we're about. Because some of you are like, man, I don't know if I wanna be a part of that church. Let me tell you what we're about. We are about God and his word. We're about Jesus and his word. We, We could care less about social clubs. We could care less about, we are about Jesus Christ and his word. That's what we're about. We're gonna preach his word. That's gonna make some of you mad. That's gonna make me mad sometimes, right? Because I don't like, like I said, but we're going to preach his word. We're going to live his word. Every decision we make is gonna be by his word. We're gonna resolve conflict by his word. We're going to, we're going to celebrate by his word. We're gonna worship by his word. We're gonna preach his word. We're gonna do everything by his word. That's who we are as a church. That's why we're a global church. That's why we're a, 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 a multicultural church. That's the church that we are. You wanna be a part of our church? Come to First Steps next week, let us know. We wanna thrive in our wicked, crazy, hostile world. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Be committed to the word. Will you go with us? Let's pray together, can we? Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. God, I pray that we would love the word, live the word. I pray that, God, we would literally, God, crave your word, that we would not be able to stop talking about your word. God, I pray that we would not be able to put your word down. Lord, I pray that every day, Lord, that we would take that reading plan and say, I don't wanna take two days off. I, I love it so much. I'm gonna read it straight through, and if I had to do it quick, I'll do it again. God, I pray that our people would love your word so much, and they would get into your word, and as they read it, they would pray your word. 
God, and you would begin to change their life as they lived your word. God, give our people a love for your word. Lord, help us to live your word. God, thank you for the examples of people like John Huss, John Wycliffe, God, William Tyndall, Martin Luther. Thank you for these people, Father, who gave us these great examples because they loved the word of God. And the reason they loved it was because they knew it contained the words of God. And I pray that we would love it so much that we live for it. We live, we, 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 God, we, we, we see these guys give their life for your word. I pray that we would let it set us to fact that if we had to, we would as well. God, help us to be that committed to your word. And Lord, I pray, Lord, these guys died so that people would get the word in England. I pray that our people would be willing to die if had to, so that our kids would get the word. Lord, help us to die to our work. Help us to die to our hobby. Help us to die to whatever is keeping us from getting the word into our kids. Help us to die to our fear. Help us to die to our pride, God. William Tyndall was burned at the stake because he smuggled Bibles so that people could have it on the other side of the world. Help us to die to whatever is keeping us from getting the word into the hearts and lives of our kids and to our families. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.